Hi, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where we strive to live life as friends with faith through knowing God, loving others, and making a difference. If you're new, there will be information at the end of this podcast to help you plug in at Quest both in person and online. Now, let's dive into this week's teaching. We're starting a new series today, and I got to admit, I'm both nervous about this series, and I'm really, really excited about it. I think the next seven weeks has the potential to be a positive rocking of our worlds in a way that uh, causes us to greatly impact many lives in our community in greater ways than we've done in the past. First, though, I want you to imagine with me for a moment that it's Saturday of Thanksgiving weekend. Everybody knows what happens on Saturday of Thanksgiving weekend. And this Saturday of Thanksgiving weekend, the big game is actually at the shoe. And every single one of you in this room has tickets for the game. In fact, they're great tickets. We all have 50-yard line, first and second row seats right behind the Buckeye bench. Now, if you're one of the brave Michigan fans here, you're welcome to sit with us. Or you're welcome to imagine yourself sitting behind the opposing team's bench if you want, uh, your team's bench. In fact, we're all so excited that we have a great big Quest tailgate party, and we have the best steaks, the snacks, desserts, everything across the street from the shoe, and we even let all of you guys in your Michigan blue eat with us. We're just that gracious and kind. We get done eating, and we decide to walk over to the stadium in time to see the final warm-ups before all the teams leave the game, leave the field before the pregame countdown festivities. And as we walk in, things don't seem right. We're walking down to our seats, and we finally get to our seats and sit down, and it's clearly things are not right. Because what we actually see is we see both teams sitting in khakis with dress shirts on the bench. But there's people on the field, all dressed up in pads and helmets, and they're warming up. And all of a sudden we realize that's all the old coaches from both teams, the current and old coaches from both teams. We see, we see Urban out there taking snaps and practicing punting, and we see Jim Tressel out there, and he's going to be the quarterback. So we know this is going to be a really exciting brand of football we're going to see with him at the quarterback, right? I mean, that's just, sorry. And we see all the other coaches in all their positions, stretching and warming up. And then an announcement comes over the, over the loudspeakers saying, Today the coaches have decided the best way to teach the game to the players is for them to play the game and show them how everything's done with proper technique. Now what just happened to your excitement for the game? I know a few of you really want to see Urban sack Harbaugh, but once that's done, where's your excitement for the game? Too often, that's how we approach church and our faith and the mission of Christ that he wants to do through our lives. We see the really big game and the really big stage that God we think God wants to do, and we see that reserved for the spiritual types, the pastors, the elders, those few people who, for some reason, if they could pray all day, they would never come out of their closet, and they love that kind of thing, right? While everyone else sits on the bench or in the stands cheering and watching. Because we think... Clearly, God speaks to them better than me. Clearly, God answers prayer for healing through them more than he does through me. Clearly, he can do that better through someone else. But God wants so much more for every single one of us. 
In fact, what God really wants is for us to walk into the shoe, go down to our seats, and Urban comes up to us and says, I'm putting you in the game. Suit up. Now, if Urban came to me and said that, well, I don't know, last time I played shortstop, even in softball, it was 10 years ago, and then I could still dive and get the ball, but I just couldn't get up and throw fast enough to get anybody out, you know? And, and I'd probably look at Urban and go, I don't know, I'm not strong enough and I'm not in good, a sh- I'm good enough shape. I mean, I, I know a lot of your big guys have bellies, but my kids come up to me, my boys come up to me, and they like to rub my belly. And sometimes I go, what are you, you're weird, what are you doing that for? Is this like rubbing the Buddha's belly or something like that? And they say, no, Dad, it's just soft and jiggly. Now, that's not what you want to hear, right? So, boys' competitiveness goes a little further, and I'll go, yeah, but, and they go, yeah, but, <laughs> it's soft and jiggly, too. I mean, I'd have to say if Urban came to ask me to play in the game, I'd go, no, I'm not strong enough, I'm, you know, I can't do this, it's just, you know, it's just, I can't do it, I'm too old, I'm too fragile, and I'm just going to get hurt. But the invitation God gives us is for us to not be on the sidelines. He wants each and every one of us to suit up and get in the game. And what we're going to explore through this series is that God gives us as ordinary folk, young, middle-aged, strong, weak, old, spiritual gifts that allow us to enjoy playing the game of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, at a really high level. This series, Not on the Sidelines, How We Play in the Kingdom, is designed to invite each and every one of us into an adventure like that with God's Spirit. Now someone, uh, I don't know how long ago, took part about two and a half minutes or three minutes of a sermon by John Wimber, the founder of the Vineyard Association of Churches, and made a little animated video out of it. And I want, want you to see that. But before you see that, it'll make more sense if you, if you remember who John Wimber was in his history. John Wimber was a beer-guzzling, drug-abusing pop musician who became a follower of Jesus at age 29 in 1963 while he was chain-smoking his way through a Quaker-led Bible study. He was a successful keyboard player and a songwriter of the five-member band. And in 1962, at Wimber's initiation, they changed the name of the band and became what is known now as the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame group, the Righteous Brothers Band. So with that history, enjoy this video. Can be done. How many of you have ever had that same thought? You read the Bible, you go around, and you look at it, and you go, why don't we see it? Why can't we do more of that? Why doesn't it happen today? Why isn't our faith and our church experience more like that? Paul in 1 Corinthians 1 says, I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched. You've been strengthened. You've been built up. You've been given all you need and more in in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. Did you hear that? You don't lack any spiritual gift. During this time where we're still waiting for Jesus to come back again and finally finish setting everything right. And there's this word therefore in there, which basically means that we've given, we've, that spiritual gifts are, are given and they are a vital part of what we need to experience in order to be built up. 
Paul also says in 1 Thessalonians 1, he says, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. I don't know about you, but when I read that, I have this genuine desire for that to be there, for that power to be there. And I think part of the reason most of us came to faith was because we wanted that power. We wanted the power to grow, the power to change, the power to make a difference. We wanted the power to overcome those things that continually come back and ail us and not be held back by them anymore. We want to live in peace and joy and make a difference in our lives. From early childhood, I've experienced some of this. My dad, when I was an early child, had six heart attacks in less than a day. Permanent heart damage, diagnosed by Mayo Clinic, was healed of it. And throughout my life since then, there's been these ebbs and flows within the churches that I've been a part of where power, beyond what is simply human power, beyond what is simply our own knowledge and ability, has shown up through the work of the Holy Spirit. The kind of power of doing the stuff, as Wimber says in his video. And I've been really honest with you many times in the past. I don't fully understand why we encounter God more at times and not so much at other times. I don't understand those ebbs and flows. I don't fully understand why someone gets healed sometimes and we pray for someone and they don't get healed. I I mean, there's lots of explanations out there. I think most of them are attempts to try to figure it out that don't really muster. But after a lot more years of experience, I have stronger opinions about those things, those questions today than I had in my 20s. But, But this I do know. This I do know. Doing the stuff is real. God still shows up, and it's exciting, and it brings greater effect to our faith. In fact, if you look at history even right now, the fastest-growing movements in Christianity worldwide believe in doing the stuff and pursue those miracles of God and the things that Jesus did, and they are experiencing them, and it is fueling rapid growth of the Christian church all over the world today. Why? Because it brings such positive life impact. And when you read the Bible, you can't help but believe that stuff is still something God wants to do today because it's a vital part of real relationship with a person, not just a belief of God. See, our focus through this series is going to be studying what theologians call our, uh, the power gifts. And our whole emphasis of this series is simply this, that spiritual gifts are a major way that God tangibly reveals himself to us. Spiritual gifts are a major way of him making relationship with us, not just belief, but an encountered reality. Spiritual gifts are a major way God tangibly reveals his love for us. And spiritual gifts are a major way God wants to work through us in our interactions with our friends who are not followers of Jesus so they come face to faith, not face to face, not just with a belief, but with the person and presence of God. And this is not just for a certain few of us to do. This is for all of us as followers to be engaged with. This is about not being on the sidelines. This is about all of us actively learning to operate in these gifts of the Holy Spirit, eagerly desiring them and expressing them so that we're answers to his prayer. He taught us in the Lord's Prayer. Kingdom in heaven come on earth as it is in heaven. We pray it 
But this is how God wants to bring it to us. This is God, not urban, calling us out of the stands into the game to rescue people, to bring healing to people's lives, to bring all sorts of good. That's far more important than that Saturday game. So let's jump in to our core text for this series. It's found in 1 Corinthians 12, and we'll set the stage in this message for this whole series. The text reads this way. It says, There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, and to yet another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Over the next week, we're going to look at the following list of the spirits, of the gifts given in this passage. We're going to look at healing and miracles, and we're going to look at prophecy. We're going to look at the word of knowledge and the word of wisdom. And we're going to look at speaking in tongues and interpretation. We're going to look at discerning of spirits. And in that message, we're also going to give some tips on how to avoid some pitfalls so that this doesn't become weird and corrupt. And we're going to also look at the gift of faith. And as we talk about those things, we're going to look at them in a very simple way. We're going to look at what are they in the Bible. We're going to look at biblical examples of them being expressed in the Bible. We're going to look at modern-day examples of them being expressed. And we're going to talk about how we can learn to recognize these gifts and operate in these gifts ourselves and allow God to work through us in that way. Now, a lot of people struggle with these gifts, these spiritual gifts, and there's confusion around them. And I think the confusion has many reasons, but several of them, I think, are this. I think, first, Satan causes confusion because he desires a weak and powerless church. I mean, nothing would make him more happy than for us to just be religious, going about relying on all that we can do in our own power, but never experiencing power beyond ourselves, the power of God. I think the second area of confusion comes because many people have attempted to write and speak about these gifts and have never really experienced them. Uh, Rich Nathan talks about this in a really interesting illustration that I think is applicable. He, he, he pictures Christianity as this great old cathedral with stained glass windows. And he pictures it as though we're standing on the outside of this cathedral in the daylight. Now, if you look at those stained glass windows in the daylight when you're standing on the outside, what do they look like? They're kind of muddy. You you can't really see the picture. They're kind of gray and dark. You don't really see much. You can't distinguish the picture. When we look at spiritual realities from the outside as an observer, they all seem gray and muddy, lacking in clarity. It's only when we get on the inside of the cathedral that you can see the brilliant picture and the beauty of the stained glass shining through. See, some of you struggle with your faith because you continue to stand on the outside of the cathedral of faith and you can't see it. Some of us continue to struggle with spiritual realities like these spiritual gifts because we stay at a distance from them and stay on the outside of them. But like many things in life, 
especially spiritual things. We don't really fully understand spiritual things until we get on the inside of them and experience God in them. Paul says it this way. He says, the Holy Spirit enlightens our hearts and our minds, bringing revelation, the ability to understand spiritually revealed things. Third, I think some of us struggle with spiritual gifts, not because we don't believe in them. We believe in them. But we struggle because the Bible lists them, and the Bible shows them an operation and the outcome of those But the Bible doesn't spend a lot of time talking about what we experience or how we know we're getting a spiritual gift from God. In other words, the Bible doesn't have a lot of specifics to help us know whether what we're experiencing is a spiritual gift or whether it's our own insecurity or our own feelings or our own thoughts or simply the pickled herring we ate last night. I love pickled herring. Anybody else eat it last night? No? Oh, come on. Yet Jesus does give us a tremendous comfort and confidence, even in facing this issue of learning to distinguish between our own stuff and the work of the Holy Spirit. In some of his last words to the disciples, right before he goes to the cross, in John 16, Jesus says this. He says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Jesus guarantees that the Holy Spirit will lead us surely into truth, not error, into health, not dysfunction, into the right way of doing things, not weirdness. Fourth, as we kind of alluded earlier, I think one of the biggest personal reasons and maybe the biggest reason of all we struggle with these spiritual gifts is we struggle because we don't think we're good enough to be used by God in ministering to others through the spiritual gifts. This barrier gets expressed in many different forms. Some of us say, well, I'm too young in the faith. Or we might say, I'm still too immature. Or or we might say, there's too many sins that I wish I were free of, but I still fall prey to. that They they disqualify me from God using me in this way. Or, Or you might say, I don't know the Bible well enough, and so I can't be used by God this way. Or some people even say, I'm too rational. I, I just, I, I don't get this touchy-feely, getting in touch with the spiritual things type of thing. That's just not me. I'm not wired like that. Think about that. What does that mean? Does that mean that only touchy-feely people can be spiritual and encounter being used by the Spirit? Does that mean the Holy Spirit is just touchy-feely? I mean, come on. If that's the case, then I'm sunk. I might as well just get off the stage right now and let somebody else speak because, I mean... I'm as rational as they come. The bottom line, we feel like we're not mature enough. We're not knowledgeable enough, like spiritual gifts require some sort of PhD. We're not forgiven enough, or we're still too caught in sin, or we're simply too defective, whatever that defect we label is. But allow me to show you through this text, and as we dive more deeply into it, that any barrier you have like that, similar to that, towards experiencing the spiritual gifts is completely based on an inadequate view and understanding of the grace of God in Jesus. I mean, spiritual gifts are all about the grace of God. In fact, the word used for gifts in Greek is charis, and that same word is also used to translate the word grace. It's the exact same word. What Jesus did on the cross was that he paid for it all for us, not some, 
He paid for everything for us. He paid for your sins so you can be completely wholly forgiven. He paid enough for you to have your ticket to what we call heaven and a new earth when Jesus comes back and sets things all right. He's already paid the cost for that ticket. And in the meantime, he's paid the price to secure every spiritual blessing, every spiritual gift that you could ever need right now in this life. Through the cross and resurrection, Jesus reveals his loving grace toward us. And God did this not because you merit it, but because he loves you. You can't earn it, so he gives it as a gift to anyone who will choose to receive that gift and follow him in it. If you believe you are an unlikely person to receive a spiritual gift, then you don't understand God's grace and what he's done for you. If you believe that you are an unlikely person and are not qualified to receive a prophetic word from God that you can give to somebody else, then you don't understand God's grace. If you believe that God cannot work through you to pray for healing and actually see somebody healed or a miracle happen, then you don't understand God's grace. If you believe those things, then what's actually happening is you are relying on yourself and believing it's something about you that makes those things possible instead of believing in what Jesus has already done for you. You are relying on yourself instead. And I get that struggle. I think we all struggle with that. I mean, we struggle with it for many reasons. Praying for healing feels so out of control. Why would I, why would I do something we have absolutely no control over? Speaking for God through a prophetic word just, frankly, feels pretentious, doesn't it? Why would we do that? When I was in college, I was with a group of stu- I was part of a group of student leaders who oversaw a weekly student-led worship uh, night, and uh, there was a student uh, at the college when I was there who probably more than one, but I can tell you about one who had major social and psychological issues. That's just the easy way to say it. Now he never did any physical harm to anybody, but he was so off that at one point the administration banned him from the women's dorms. He couldn't go in the lobby. He couldn't even hang out around the doors to the lobby because he made the women feel so ultra uncomfortable. He was a regular attendee at these uh, student-led services. And at the end of each one of these services, we would have a time where we encouraged people to hang around and and, and worship and pray more and, and practice learning to operate in spiritual gifts. And the way we used to do it back then, this is not the way we do it all out now, but the way we did it back then is we just had a mic and anybody who wanted to come up and say, I think God is speaking this and wants to do this in somebody's life could come up to the mic and do that. And this this guy used to come up on a regular basis and say stuff. And sometimes it was right on, and sometimes it was just downright kooky, weird, uncomfortable. Even some of the same things that caused the reason for him to be banned from the women's dorms would come out on the mic every now and then. It was just weird. So when the administration put the basically the restraining order on him, we as a student leadership team decided that we should probably not let him get to the mic anymore until things resolved. 
So the very next service after we planned that, we were already watching, waiting to, you know, we hadn't had a chance to talk to him, so we were waiting to kind of gently intervene and keep him away from the mic and deal with it that night. And a distraction happened. He got to the mic before any of us realized and started talking. So we decided we'll let it happen, and we'll just deal with it if it's weird gently afterwards, and, you know, that's no big deal. In the end, what he had to say that night was, this, inc- this incredibly dysfunctional, socially off guy, what he had to share was absolutely from God and right on. And it resulted in one of the most powerful ministry times of that entire year where God was showing up in people's lives, doing some incredible things. God's gifts are graces given to us, not on merit, Not always given to people who seem to be more pure or more mature. They are graces God loves to give. And sometimes he chooses to confront our pride, I think, by giving them to the most unlikely people of all. I mean, I couldn't help that night but to sit back and just kind of laugh at God's sense of humor. To allow that person to get to the mic. And it was just this beautiful lesson of God and who he is, of his grace and our need and my need for humility, because none of us deserve it. Now, certainly, I mean, intentional, repeated, unrepented of, known sin that we have that we just intentionally don't repent of and keep doing certainly grieves the Holy Spirit and can get in the way of us receiving spiritual gifts. But the sin that we don't recognize as sin The sin that we long to be free of, yet we repeatedly fail, those aren't barriers to God working through us. In fact, God wants actually to give us gifts and meet us in those places because spiritual gifts are meant to empower us in his love to realize we're safe and secure and we can become free because we sense that love. That's part of the purpose of the grace of these spiritual gifts gifts, these spiritual graces given. There's another awesome word in our text, and it's the word gives. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good, and you'll see give used throughout that. The idea is this, that God gives. When we pray to God, we pray to a generous God, a God so generous that, as we said, he gives spiritual gifts to ensure that we don't lack anything. He gives <clears throat> spiritual gifts to people, to all of us, none of us who deserve them, even people who misuse them, he gives spiritual gifts to. I mean, I've seen in my ministry time and personally verified healings and prophet, genuine prophetic words that God gave through people who, quite frankly, were pretty messed up. If you don't think that can happen again, You don't understand the grace of God. Paul, writing to the Corinthian church in this letter in in and of itself, one of his major purposes for writing them is simply the fact that the Corinthian church had been misusing and abusing the spiritual gifts. But he doesn't tell them to stop until they get it all right. In fact, he tells them twice in chapter 12 and chapter 14, he says, no, instead you should What? Eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. Don't stop pursuing them. Don't stop believing that I want to give them generously and liberally to you just because you've misunderstood them and misused them and caused harm or caused difficulty or confusion. No, no. Eagerly desire. 
eagerly pursue the spiritual gifts God wants to generously give you. Why? Why should we desire them? Why does God give gifts? That's because of another great word in the text, the word service. Spiritual gifts are given to empower our service of Jesus' mission and ministering to other people around us. Meaning, spiritual gifts are given to you for the benefit of someone else. See, God has designed us for a relationship. We talk about that a lot around here, right? But one of the ways he reveals himself is through our relationships with each other. He talks to you about your son or your daughter or your spouse or a friend or a colleague. Or he talks to you about a stranger you meet or the person next to you who you pray with after services on a given Sunday. And he chooses to heal by doing it through you. Spiritual gifts are given as part of a meaningful life impact the good works God has prepared in advance for us to enjoy walking into. Spiritual gifts are designed to advance the mission of Jesus on this earth through you. Through you. Think about all that Jesus did while he was on this earth. Think about the wise words. The things that he knew that no one else could have known but God. That just amaze you when you read the text. The, the healings, the restoring of relationships that you see, the breaking down of walls, how Jesus lifted people out of sickness and poverty and sin and all sorts of pain. We read those stories and they're exciting. They're inspiring to us. The spiritual gifts are meant to operate through each of us who are followers of Jesus in that same way. We get to be a part of that same exciting adventure in bringing good things to people's lives all around us. There's another great word, wonderful word in this. It's called, it's the word working. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. That word work is actually the Greek word from which we get our word energy. This is not the buzz of energy we get from running or the buzz of energy you're getting to wake yourself up with that beautiful latte that you got from the cafe before you came in and you're sipping, right? Which Jeremy said they were extra caffeinated this morning. So, so thank you for keeping everybody awake, cafe. Um, this is the energy of God. This is the divine power and energy at work. It's something beyond you and I. This is not about your energy or your strength. This is about you being a conduit for the very power of God. Jesus himself uses a metaphor about the Holy Spirit to describe this. He talks about it in John 7, and he says this, Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. These artesian spring from within you. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed were later to receive. The Spirit of God lives within you. It is supposed to bubble up out of you through gifts and the power of his working in you and working through you to touch other people's lives. We are intended to be kind of this spout of water of the Holy Spirit landing all over people all around us. Now, let me quickly clarify something uh, God gives different kinds of gifts. 
He gives all sorts of different kinds of gifts. He gives gifts of talent and of personality, of motivational gifts and passion gifts. And the Bible talks about those, but this series is not about those. Those are really important, but this series is not about those. This series, we're focusing on the mystical power gifts that actually result in what we're going to, in the final word of our text, and that's the word manifestation. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. This word manifestation, what it actually means is it's, it's, it's making the visible, making visible and known that which is invisible, unknown, or hidden. That's what the word manifestation means. Spiritual gifts are meant to be the tangible, visible manifestations of God's power and person interacting with us. They're meant to be the visible things that draw people to God around us who do not know him. In John 10, in verses 25, 37, and 38, Jesus says that, this, says that the works of the Holy Spirit are intended to bring people to faith. And these miracles, these works, are a significant part of that proof. In the next few weeks, we're going to explore these gifts. We're going to explore how to understand them and pursue experiencing the gifts more and more. Next week, we actually have a really wonderful special guest speaker. He's a former youth pastor at Vineyard Columbus, but now he is full-time in uh, training people on how to hear God's voice and how to work and operate in these gifts. That's what he does full-time is train people to do exactly what we're talking about in this series. You're going to not want to miss next week. But let me close today by looking at a moment where the Bible says that Jesus is full of joy through the Holy Spirit. Now, where the Bible says this, it's in the context that Jesus has just sent out 72 disciples. Remember, Jesus had kind of this tiered, organized system of discipleship. He had the three, he had the 12, he had the 72, and he had a larger group of 120 that were his followers. And he sent out these 72 disciples saying to them, everywhere you go, Pray for the sick, see them healed, cast out demons, announce the coming of the kingdom of God. In other words, do the stuff. Do the stuff, guys. And the disciples go out and they come back themselves full of joy because of the works that they've seen the God Spirit do, do through them. Now, now just take a second. Allow, your, allow yourself to imagine you being one of those 72 and what that moment is like. What would you feel like if you prayed and God healed someone? What would you feel like if God gave you a prophetic word for somebody else, something you didn't know about them that totally, radically, positively changed their life for God? Pretty awesome, right? Pretty awesome. That's what God wants us to learn more about being involved in more and more. See, these disciples, they come to Jesus and they start telling them the stories. And I, and I imagine this happening around a big meal and a campfire at the end of the day. They, they get there and they throw out this big spread and everyone's sitting around. They're so excited they can hardly keep from interrupting each other and telling each other stories. And, and you know from reading the stories, Peter, James, and John, they're really competitive with each other. So I'm sure that came out that evening too. And they're probably trying to one-up each other. You know, Peter goes, yeah, I saw this guy's hand healed. And, and, and James goes, yeah, but I saw this guy get sight. He hasn't seen since he was, seen since he was a baby. And, 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 and John going, well, yeah, that I, well, you got the guy's sight. I got the guy's sight. And the guy I prayed for was deaf too. 
and you know, I mean, this 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 whole animated fun thing going on, and I can imagine Jesus' smile listening to this, just growing larger and larger. I can imagine him laughing as the joy gets bigger and bigger in him that these ordinary working men trusting God's Spirit to receive gifts from God's Spirit to give them to others. Ordinary men and women doing extraordinary things. And Jesus' response is this pure joy, this overflowing joy. And out of that joy, we see in Luke 10, Jesus say this. He says, at that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and the learned, and you've revealed them to the little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. What is God pleased to do? What is Jesus saying God's pleased to do? He's saying he's pleased to pour out his gifts of his spirit on all people, on ordinary people like you and I, so that no one has to sit on the sidelines, but every single one of us gets to be involved in the joy of answering that prayer, that Lord's Prayer of the kingdom of God, breaking in among us in all of its goodness and glory. That's what Jesus wants for you and I. That's the kind of joy God wants for you and I to learn to live in and be a part of and experience more and more. See, when we learn to pursue the stuff, doing the stuff, we get to experience that because God says, I'll be faithful to teach you to do this. I hope you won't miss one single Sunday throughout this series over the next seven weeks. And if you do, I hope you'll listen to us online so you can stay up on what's going on. I hope every single one of us here will respond to Paul's invitation that a major piece of our meditation and prayer time over the next number of weeks will be this prayer of eagerly stirring up this eager desire for us to know the Holy Spirit in this way and to know His gifts, that we can all walk into God's power more and more and we can experience more and more of the joy of Him ministering to us. And I think what some of you will find who are here and you say, I've never ever experienced that, I think as we go through this series, what you're going to discover is that, yes, you have. You just haven't realized that was God working through you. And the value for you in this series is going to be recognizing that and growing in confidence that God does indeed pour out His Spirit on you and His gifts on you to minister to others and make a tremendous difference. Lord, we just thank you for this series and for this time in the life of Quest to all of us who make up Quest. Lord, we just say, come Holy Spirit, and we trust you to lead us. We trust you to make this a part of our lives. And Lord, we eagerly anticipate the work of your Spirit among us. With that idea, would you just continue to worship now? Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you are loving Quest podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. 
For more information about Quest, who we are, and what we do, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at gotoquest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org. 